Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Are the mountains of North Carolina a paranormal hotspot? Are really are there really secret military bases there? Is the government trying to cover up a UFO Bigfoot connection? Hello and welcome to the 747th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And those Hill Area questions came from my co-host, partner in the paranormal, and dad, Paul. And so today we welcome back one who uh, probes with some lesser known areas in the paranormal, uh, especially in the Tar Heel state. Uh, we invite your calls today. Uh, the numbers, uh, well, we have to tell you that our long-standing 800 number has been retired as legacy technology, quote-unquote, because, you know, nobody really needs toll-free numbers anymore, and uh, many of, of the young youngins don't even know what that is. I mean, I, I remember when that was a huge deal for, mm. for 800 numbers, so anyone under the age of 20 probably has no clue what an 800 number even is. So, henceforth, uh, you can call us at 401 766 from anywhere uh, in well anywhere really <laughs> yes. um, and as ever we will monitor emails paulatbehindtheparanormal.com for those as well as our Facebook page Mary A. Joyce has been editor of Sky Ships Over Cashiers website which deals with UFOs that's cashiers not as in the supermarket but it's a, just a beautiful town in the western uh, mountains of North Carolina but anyway the site deals with UFOs and other fascinating subjects and she's done that since 2008 she has worked for Texas Instruments, coordinating art and printing for, chil- for talking children's books. In that capacity, she worked directly with the creative teams at Marvel Comics, Golden Books, Mr. Rogers, Bill Cosby's pictures pa- Picture Pages, and Steven Spielberg's E.T. Book Staff. Early in her career, she taught in an experimental, non-graded inner-city school and later held promotional positions with the world's largest private printing company, uh, an air pollution control agency, political campaigns, and a community college. Among her books are Cherokee Little People Were Real and Underground Military Bases Hidden in the North Carolina Mountains. Uh, Her website, skyshipsovercashiers.com. Mary. So, Mary Joyce, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Or welcome back, Hi, I should say. It's always good to talk to you two. Oh, well, it's great having you back. So, Mary, this is your first time on the show in about three years, so I'm, I'm sure a lot's happened since then. So what's been going on in the beautiful state of North Carolina and then the mountains specifically since then? Well, there's been so much. Um, the website started out because we've had lots and continue to have lots of UFO sightings. But since I moved here in 98... I had no idea how many different weird things are happening here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done a book on underground bases here in the mountains of western North Carolina. Uh, we have Bigfoot sightings, quite a few of them. Uh, we have uh, the little people, and I've done a book on that also. Um, and we just get into many, many different kinds of what I call cutting-edge topics. Okay. And I probably should throw in just a little bit with, uh, I may have just caught the end of the bio, but um, um, I spent a number of years working for major metropolitan area newspapers, and uh, that kind of background is what I bring to this website. Uh, it's the curiosity of an of a editor and a, a reporter, and uh, uh, I've put that together with this website. 
That's why I relate to you, because that's my background, too. Newspapers. I thought it was. Yeah, exactly. Now, Mary, there's a very... uh, We have sort of a last-minute information that came in, uh, and why don't we talk about that first? And that's a uh, a rather uh, interesting NASA-related topic that you have not related on the air before. Uh, Could you tell Uh, us about that? I haven't talked about this on the air with anybody. It's not a new story, but it is one... Uh, where an astronaut saw an eight to nine foot uh, alien, and um, I recently stumbled across again that he has taken a lot of abuse, and a lot of people try to, um, you know, say he's a phony and things like that. And I've met the man in in uh, in person, um, and after he just happened to mention that when he was working for NASA. And he was monitoring um, a, a, a camera or a TV screen from the uh, open bay of the space shuttle. He saw two astronauts tethered to the open bay, and there was one tall alien uh, who he estimated to be about uh, eight to nine feet tall. Well, he was seeing this on a monitor that was in a secret room, and he made, quote, the mistake of mentioning what he saw to someone else who worked at NASA. And he ended up losing his job. Um, and he also was blackballed, where it was almost impossible for him to get jobs. And uh, he has a lot of information. Any efforts he's made uh, to print a book about this has been stymied. And... I met the guy right, you know, shortly after all this happened, and I got a call from my sister. Now, this is when I was living in Florida, and I lived on the beach between Patrick Air Force Base and the Space Center. And she called up and said that Clark McClellan was staying at a friend's house because he was just totally down and out. And she said he had a really incredible story, and I was invited to, uh, you know, attend this group meeting. And there were about maybe a dozen people that were there. And he, this story was so fresh in his mind and his firing was so fresh in his mind that you could just see the sweat beating up in his forehead and you could feel the pain and the agony that he was experiencing because here he had seen something remarkable and NASA was doing everything it could to, uh, you know, make it impossible for other people to believe him. And to top it off, his girlfriend was um, Judith Resnick, who was one of the astronauts killed in oh, the yes. space shuttle. Yeah. So he was still in grief over losing her. And I just happened to be living in the middle of all this because I actually saw that shuttle explode. I was working at Bavar Community College at that time. I was driving north on um, Highway 1 and looked up at the sky to see the launch and it didn't take but a second to realize that this something was terribly wrong. I pulled off to the side of the road, and you know, you know, I, I knew it was going down. And then I had the radio on, so I was getting it on the radio at the same time I was seeing it. So for some reason, I was right smack in the middle of a lot of this. Wow, what is it exactly that he saw? I mean, um, you said nine foot in, but it, was it, it uh, in some sort of contact with the astronauts on the tether, or what was happening? All right. Uh, you, it, I, hopefully you know what the uh, uh, open bay looks like sure. uh, on the space shuttle. I've been there lately, but I know what it looks like. <laughs> You've seen pictures, I'm sure. And there were two 
uh, astronauts in the garb that you've always seen that were tethered so they wouldn't float away. And there was um, uh, this being that didn't have to be tethered and didn't have any obvious sign of oxygen um, who was in some kind of a space who, who was there talking to these two um, uh, astronauts. And he was animated. He was using his hands. He looked, uh, he was in proportion to a human being, but was just much taller. And um, there was also um, a UFO, a small one, that was in view of the space shuttle at that time. Uh, it probably was like a scout ship that went out from a mothership because it wasn't big enough to be going into deep, deep space. So he was seeing these kind of things on this monitor in you know, a secret monitoring room at the Kennedy Space Center. You know, we've had a number of calls about, not not this particular incident, but from people here and there who uh, are retired military uh, or retired NASA people who have said that they saw things like this and that they either didn't dare say anything until they called us, uh, you know, many, many years later, uh, or they did say something and the same thing happened to them as happened to McClellan. They were blackballed and fired, usually. Uh, and not only that, they lose their pension. So yeah. here's a guy who, you know, was there for over 30 years. You can imagine he would have had a decent pension. Yeah. And he's living on Social Security and continues to try to, to get this information out. It takes a lot of courage. Uh, yes, and, yeah. and he's received a lot of abuse, and I think it's wounded him in many, many ways. But yeah. uh, I saw, you know, the pain firsthand. I saw, I saw the authenticity, intensity, uh, uh, you know, of his whole demeanor. And, uh, you know, I, it, you just can't fake that. It was just so real. Mm-hmm. So I, ha- I think people ought to, you know, check out his story. We do have an article that we posted back in 2012. And if anybody wants to read that, they can just type in astronaut saw eight to nine foot alien, um, and it'll come up. Um, and again, it was uh, posted in the uh, 2012 archive for the ET and Bigfoot section. Okay. And this is on your website, skyshipsovercashiers.com, which is full of information. That There are articles and all sorts of uh, things about uh, things you wouldn't expect. You know, including the, the, this Bigfoot connection. Uh, can we talk about that for a little while? Uh, the the Bigfoot UFO connection, as you see it, because we see it too, but maybe in a different context than you do. What's your take on that? Uh, we are seeing uh, multiple UFO sightings in the same area that we have multiple Bigfoot reports. So it's very easy to believe that there might very well be a connection between the two. Mm-hmm. And there is an author. Um, and I've, I think we've done two articles about him on the uh, the website. He goes by the name Kawani, and his last name, I'm guessing, is Greek. At least it looks like it might be. It's Lapsaridis, mm-hmm. but Kawani is the name that he's mostly known by. And he was one of these academics who, you know, wasn't the least bit interested in any of this until he came face-to-face with a, a Bigfoot. And, of course, you know, that happened in, uh, I think, in 79, and his life hasn't been the same since. Oh, yeah. We hear that from and, uh, scientists right and left. Mark D'Antonio from MUFON, the astronomer, dear friend of ours, co-host of the show sometimes, he, is, uh, he says that this stuff doesn't happen to scientists until it does. That's correct. Yeah. In other words, they're disbelievers until they can't disbelieve it anymore. Exactly. Run right, run right into it. 
Is there a connection? And this, I'll tell you why I'm asking this. Is there a connection you found uh, between UFOs and Bigfoot that that would involve orange balls of light or orbs, as they're sometimes called? Well, uh, actually, there's been quite a few Bigfoot sightings in an area that's you know very close to to Cashers, and we've had so many different kinds of UFOs seen in that uh, area. I mean, everything. Some of them um, have even been very different. Of course, we've seen orbs of different colors. That is almost so common. Uh, And we've seen the different shapes. The most unusual one um, was, and somebody caught it on on camera, is something that almost looks like an asteroid, like a big old lumpy, you know, thing, except it was hovering close, really close to to the ground, and this picture was taken. And um, I don't know. Maybe it's a way of camouflaging themselves as as meteors. I don't. I have no idea. But I have never seen anything like it. Um, we had that photo in the skyship uh, photo section. Uh, off the top of my can't, head, I can't tell you exactly when it was, but uh, um, it, it's worth skimming through that section uh, going back to the last couple of years and. Every posting that we have has a visual to go with it. Mm-hmm. I hate these websites where they just give you gray matter or just solid type. Uh, yeah. We're in a very visual world, and so everything we do comes with, with photos or maps or, or something, and yeah. we try to you know, be concise and to the point so it's easy for people to read because people are busy. It's interesting that, that you mentioned that, that sort of, of uh, image as well, as sort of an asteroid meteor type thing, because uh, our, our dear friend uh, Shane Searway, who is going to be here in two weeks, he always uh, co-hosts uh, with us on our open line shows, he uh, has um, trail cams around his, his property in New Hampshire, and he points some of them, one of them at least, at the sky, <laughs> and he got one just like that only a few weeks ago. Uh, very Ooh. impressive. you know. So, I mean, th- these things are... Uh, you know, it always lends credibility, whatever they may be. It lends credibility when other people are taking photographs and seeing them as well. So, um, do you believe, uh, as well as Bigfoot being in proximity to you, what appear to be UFOs, that there may be some deeper connection between them? Um, I personally haven't experienced anything like that, and I haven't uh, talked to people in this area who have directly seen the connection. I can only tell you that repeatedly the same things happen in the same areas. Okay. Um, but there's certainly a, n- a number of people, and Kiwani is certainly one of them, who has gotten into this in a big way. So if anybody's interested, uh, they should uh, check out his books. He's done at least uh, two of them uh, that have to do about the, uh, with the Bigfoot. Okay. Uh, as far as uh, the area the area of, of cashiers, maybe I wasn't putting the accent in the right syllable. but Oh, you did uh, it right. It's cashiers. Okay, cashers, there you go. Uh, th- it's a tourist area, lovely, lovely area. I've only been through there once, but I'd love to go back. H- how many of these reports, uh, whether it be just sightings or UFO slash Bigfoot sightings or experiences, come from tourists as opposed to areas, uh, people who live in the area, or, or is that information available? Um, I can only speak personally. Most of them, I think nearly all of them that I've uh, put on the website are from this area, um, many times they're local people who have been out camping in in the wilder areas. 
uh, and it's not limited to just the mountain uh, where Cashers is. Um, I live in Silva, and I look up at the Blue Ridge Parkway, mm-hmm. and Silva is literally surrounded by mountains in uh, every direction, and we have gotten uh, Bigfoot and UFO reports from every uh, mountain ridge around here. Okay. Our information is that the government or whoever, I mean, there may be corporate involvement here, there's a lot of money to be made if you can harness this stuff, uh, is that uh, the, the, the secrecy, the cover-ups involve not just UFOs, but as you say, Bigfoot uh, connected or not, um, they, they don't seem too concerned about you know having conversations with your uh, your deceased aunt, aunt Tilly or anything like that, but they do seem concerned about other areas of the paranormal crossover phenomena. Why do you suppose that is? Why would they want to hush? I mean, UFOs, I suppose you can make an argument, but Bigfoot and all that sort of thing, why, why would you suppose they want to hush that up? Oh, because there is the connection, in my opinion, with the UFOs. And I, I think we have a rogue element within our government. I think the government that we uh, elect into office isn't necessarily the part of the government that's running things. Yeah. I think there is a... A uh, rogue element of our government, our military, that is uh, involved with uh, uh, some of the ETs that uh, aren't the nicest ones in the in the universe, and they certainly don't want that to get out. Yeah, it's, I, I have to say that, that this may sound kind of out there uh, for a lot of our listeners because you know we try to keep our feet in the ground and and uh, but but Mary, I think you know when, when one looks at your site and talks to you, uh, you come across as very feet on the ground. And I must say that with some of the things, I've been at this for almost 50 years, and for some of the things that I've seen uh, lately, uh, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I, I wonder sometimes if I'm not getting there. You know, <laughs> there are just too many strange things going on. So I, I mean, this rogue element in the government, I think it's a lot of things we're seeing on the news, that, that's uh, probably um, probably going on. And maybe there are several rogue elements. I mean, the, the government is so huge. Uh, but again, I don't think we should underestimate the the, the corporate uh, or corporate government connection that may be involved. And we investigate flap areas. Well, think of it. Think of it like this. You know, who has the most money, and who has the most to gain? I mean, the, our country is in insane amounts of debt. I mean, how can they afford such such crazy ventures? You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, it's true. So I mean, you know, I wouldn't rule out if like you know any of the bigger the big companies because really there's there's seven companies that pretty much run the world, and you know they. Uh, they have tons of money to throw around, throw at random projects. Like most of the biggest innovations that have been made over the over the last decade weren't made by the military or the government. They were made by private corporate corporations. Yeah, no, it's true. The, the oligarchy situation. So, um, well, be that as it may, uh, moving on a bit here, Mary. Uh, one of the things we we talked about last time you were on the air, and I wanted to get an update on this, uh, was the um, the the little people, the North Carolina. Cherokee little people. Could you tell us a bit about that? Because we have stuff going on around here, too, in New England. Um, the book that I've written is called Cherokee Little People Were Real. Uh, I, Like you, I keep evolving the more I learn. And I continue, since the book has come out, to uh, hear from people who say there are still uh, little people in the remote sections of the Cherokee Reservation. And I interviewed a young woman uh, just this past Wednesday. Uh, it isn't posted on the website yet, but, you know, she, um, uh, as a child, they were playing hide-and-seek up in the uh, Big Cove area, which is one of the more uh, remote parts of the reservation. 
and uh, uh, saw a, a little person uh, face to face. And when I asked her to describe it, she said, "Well, it was a si- it was a uh, the size of a, uh, a toddler, and had the dark hair and the the you know brown eyes like uh, the Cherokee have." And uh, you know, she ran like crazy yeah. after she saw that. But uh, I wish she had not been afraid. It would be interesting to see if it could go further than that. Oh, I don't know about um, that. It might might have gone in the direction she didn't want. Is because the incidents around here, and I think particularly of the uh, Bridgewater Triangle and the Puckwudgies, which we found out from one of our our uh, friends, uh, is uh, a word that comes from the Algonquian. Now you're probably too far south. I don't know if the Cherokee language is part of the Algonquian, Algonquian group. I don't think it is, but the word Puckwudgeej, uh, meaning little people, uh, was prominent in the uh, the folklore of the Wampanoags and uh, some of the other northeastern uh, tribes, uh, the forest uh, tribes. So, um, so uh, but obviously farther south, you have uh, the Cherokee who are having something very similar. Uh, the legends around here, and, and, and I've interviewed people who uh, felt very, very threatened by these little people, uh, and when they, they would try to gesture and get them to come with them into the woods, I mean, it sounds like something out of Grimm's fairy tales, but th- these are you know, professional people who did not expect this, and in one case, uh, the fellow was walking his dog, and the dog saw it too, and was very upset, uh, indicating the guy wasn't necessarily crazy. Go ahead, Ben. So, uh, if I'm if I'm mistaken, if I'm escaped, mistaken, just, just change it, I just, you know, Cut me off because I, I I'm trying to remember my early history and some of the early like you know European settlers of the Carolinas were were like you know they they weren't just English but they were Scottish and Irish yes yes is, okay so we'll, well, we'll, I'll, I'll defer to <laughs> Mary on that cause I believe a, am I am I correct Mary uh, yes and we have um, had descriptions of three different kinds of little people in this area the most common one is the one that looks like the Cherokee okay um, I don't hear dreadful stories about them. I hear about them, uh, some of the people will still to this day put food out for them, and they claim that if they don't put it out there, uh, the little people will throw stones on their uh, <laughs> on their rooftop. You've heard of and that, yeah. the first time I uh, heard about uh, little people was back in the very late 90s, and it wasn't until, I think it was early this year, or last, or end of last year, that we got a photo that may very, very well be... Uh, a, a, a little person, hmm. and it was taken again in a remote area, and uh, uh, it looks. It was taken in August. It looks like a little nude figure. Uh, it was caught on a game cam only because a crow had flown in front of the camera and triggered it. And this little figure is in the background. Hmm. And That's the people who got the photo, uh, they, you know, wondered, well, could it have been a spirit or something like that? And so I did an experiment. I took that photo and I increased the color intensity way, way up. And anything that's alive, it goes into the magenta range. Mm-hmm. This thing did that. And then in comparison, I had a couple of um, photos of ghosts and I did the same thing by turning up the contrast that did not happen with a ghost. So what was seen there uh, was something uh, flesh and blood. And look how many years that took. I mean, we're into... You know, 2017, and uh, I mean, when this picture was taken, and um, I, I first found out about this in, you know, let's say 1990, 99, I mean. Yeah. Uh, that's a long time before you get any kind of possible tangible proof. Exactly. We obtained a picture from one of the residents of the 
Pennsylvania triangle that we are really intensely investigating at this point. And the, the photo was taken in an area not far from where Shane Searway, whom I mentioned before, and, and I had different Bigfoot sightings and encounters only in 2016. All right. Uh, this picture was taken the previous year and the person didn't kind of sat on it, didn't want anybody to see it. But it's a, it's a little figure looking out from behind a tree. And the interpretation in that area, because Bigfoot, the, pl- the place is just awash in Bigfoot sightings, is that it's a baby Bigfoot. But uh, if you look at if you look at it in a different way, you you might say that it's a puckwudgie or a little person, such as you've been describing, Mary. Mm-hmm. H- how could w- w- do you have any opinion on on how you might be able to tell the difference? I mean, c- could some of these little person sightings be very small members of, of whatever species the Bigfoot might be? Um, my opinion is that the Bigfoot are very, very protective of their little ones. Oh, yeah. And, and you're not, uh, the only story that we posted, and this goes a long time back, was uh, one of the people who lives in this area but also ha- goes to the mountains in Arkansas to visit family. And uh, a Bigfoot family became um, trusting of a family there uh, in some place in Arkansas. And they did see the little ones, but it was only after a long time uh, where trust was built up. And like everything else, it takes time to, to build up trust. We had one man who uh, had to retire from the military early because he had cancer, uh, and he moved into a small house in, you know, the remote forest around here. And I won't go into all the details of his story, but it got to the point where the, the male Bigfoot would come where he was gardening and uh, he would share food from his uh, garden with this uh, family of four uh, he described them as a mother father and two teenagers hmm. so but it takes time for those kind of things to happen yeah and the people who who build up a friendship uh, with the Bigfoot go out of their way to be protective of them they don't want people hunting them or finding them and yes uh, this particular man, he wouldn't even uh, uh, offend his uh, Bigfoot neighbor uh, by aiming a camera at him. Yeah. And uh, I, I wish that he had, but uh, <laughs> that's just me, you know. Yeah. And well, we, we've heard of that. Uh, at this point, we're going to take our bottom-of-the-hour break. Uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on ONAM and FM. Uh, that's what it says on the sign to say there, Benson. Well, not not yet. Not yet. Okay. Well, well, kind of, well, yes, yes, and no. But you know, it's it's. Oh, you're listening to Owen. <laughs> well, you're listening to Owen. All right. Sorry about that. Anyway, uh, we'll be right back uh, with our um, really amazing guest, Mary A. Joyce from North Carolina, and um, stick with us, please. Hi, this is Frank Presence, and I'm host of It's Your Business Mondays at 2 p.m. We'll explore everything that's involved in business in this community. But you know what? Everything is about business. Tune in on Mondays here on Owen Radio. And okay, we're back. we're back. Okay, this is Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on 
uh, whatever. And, uh, no, with Socket on, Radio. Let's on let's o, say that. On ON. ON, okay. Yes. And uh, we will be uh, telling you more about that as uh, the weeks go by. Uh, we are listening to a, a wonderful conversation here with Mary A. Joyce uh, from North Carolina. And we're talking particularly about uh, mysteries and strange things going on in the mountains of that state. And we'd like to um, also mention the charities the show has adopted. That's uh, ON. Actually, you can get that on BehindTheParanormal.com. There's a special uh, page where you can link to uh, several charities we have very, very seriously checked out. We know the people who run them, and they are very, very reliable. Uh, we'll talk about those toward the end of the show in our announcement period. So let's get back to our conversation with Mary. Uh, Mary, before we get into anything else, one of the things we notice in what we call flap areas, which it certainly sounds you may live in, as, as though you may live in one, uh, are crossover phenomena. Now, we've talked about possible connections between UFOs and Bigfoot, um, maybe bringing in the, the little people here and there. Have you, in your research, run into other kinds of crossover phenomena? For example, yes, uh, areas... Yes, I have. Yeah, okay. Could you tell us I about have. that? Yeah. Um, there is... Um, I first learned about it at a, one of the underground facilities that I've written about uh, in my book. And again, the title for the book is Underground Military Bases Hidden in North Carolina Mountains. And it was the first facility that I, you know, learned about. Um, there is a lake just to the west of that facility, and uh, people have uh, said that they have seen UFOs go in and out of that lake. Since it's so close to the facility, I have to wonder if indeed that might be a way of entering the facility. Um, as you well know, anything that uh, can fly through the air and is airproof is very likely to be able to go under the water uh, and some people call them USOs but I think they're exactly the same thing except they're underwater yeah or USOs I've heard the term mm -hmm. and, and yeah. there were when I was in the Coast Guard I ran into one or two odd things like that strangely enough but um, the one one of the things that um, really is is uh, not well known is well you you, have, you mentioned underground bases everybody says oh you're paranoid it's crazy it's not crazy uh, I found out in the military and, and, and also just in research that, that underground bases are very common around the world when it comes to these bases because it's a really good way to protect your base, for one thing. It's expensive to build. It's a lot of trouble. But in most militaries uh, consider it worth it. Uh, there are underground commercial research facilities as well. So uh, when you say that, it, it's not anything that, that's, that's all that uh, unusual. So, you, uh, so you know, from that point of view, you may very well be right because it's really a very efficient way to carry on military and commercial activity. Right. So how many? They go, they go. They go out of their way to make sure that um, uh, people don't get close to them. I, I uh, talked about it. Uh, what I call human uh, bug repellent or human repellent. Because hmm. when you get close to some of these facilities, uh, you will feel, I'm sure it's an electromagnetic type of thing, but you'll feel, your head will start to feel weird. You you will start to feel uncomfortable. There will be no, um, you'll just want to get away from the place. Yeah. And uh, along with that, you will find an absence of uh bird singing and, and animals and things like that. Yes, so very familiar to us. So going on that, uh, you know, they, they're trying, I'm actually quite sick of living in a country that's trying to keep everything a secret. Yeah. No, and uh, that seems to be where we're at. Um, uh, I, this is too deep a subject to go into, but we have a section called Deep Throat Testimonies, 
and the second and third articles that are written in there. Uh, one is uh, Earth is Caged Until Further Notice. Another one, the cabal exposed by high-ranking whistleblower. And when I say high-ranking, I'm talking about people with cosmic, a man with cosmic top-secret clearance. And that's why uh, his testimony is in the deep throat testimony section. And, you know, one of the frustrations that I have, and probably you have also, is that there is, we posted so much information, and you have broadcasted so much information, that it, you know, your brain is overloaded with more than you can possibly put into one article or more than you can possibly say in one show. And, um, uh, you know, there's just an abundance of incredible information. And I encourage people to, uh, you know, spend a little time exploring it because uh, when somebody with cosmic top-secret security clearance uh, decides he wants to share something, um, I think we ought to pay attention. It's funny you mention that, Mary, because way back in the 70s, I'm talking of 40 years ago, when I was in military, some military training at the time, uh, in between the seminary stints, uh, it's funny. One extreme to the other, right? I've had a funny life, yeah. Although, it's funny, you'd be surprised, the people who were in the military who ended up in the seminary, and vice versa, it's very surprising, at least in this country, because there are similarities, at least there were. But anyway, and I, that, I'm going to tell you something I've never said before. My ex-husband is an ex-Jesuit, so there's something in common with your background also. Yeah. And one of his buddies who was also in with him uh, was a, when he left, not my husband, his, but his buddy, uh, he was approached by either the, I think it was the CIA, and because they said that those who were educated in the Catholic system were uh, often better at being... Um, uh, dis- uh, I don't know, secretive about what they knew. Yeah, and, and discipline as well, the discipline thinking. Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah, no, I, I recognize exactly what you're saying. Yeah, it's it's true. Um, I'm not going to say it happened to me, but it could have. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Put it that way. Um, but in any case, in in the, there were principles in intelligence um, at, at the time anyway. Uh, they were realizing in the 70s that you really can't, Keep things secret anymore. So what you know, at least not in the sense that you could during World War II. Uh, particularly the growth that they foresaw the growth of the internet and everybody's going to know everything. So what you do is is give out inaccurate information from people who would usually be believed by whether it be the media. Or, and, and I also and I spent many many years. It's been forty years. I'm still really a working journalist. And there are an awful lot of people in the media who are naive, who've never done anything else but media have never served in the military, have never, you know, with some exceptions. And they're just not, at times, I hate to put it this way because it sounds awfully condescending, but they're just not intelligent people, or at least if they are, they don't know how to use it sometimes. And uh, you can see that in a lot of the modern media coverage that's going on. Uh, it's, you know, either inaccuracy, you know, it's, I don't have to tell you, you know just what I'm talking about. But uh, at, at, be that as it may, uh, there was the principle that um, inaccurate information will get disseminated and this kind of thing will uh, help you keep your secrets, right? Uh, and th- there were other principles as well uh, that um, I think uh, w- one can see. Uh, one of them is information overload, which you just really mentioned in another way, that just feeds so much information to people that they just can't process it, let alone make sense of it. So I think that, that uh, what you say is, is absolutely... Um, Right on, right on the money as far as my experience. One of the most dangerous things that they do is they will mix truth with untruth. Yes. Which makes the untruth go down so much more easily. That was official policy when I was training. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. So there it is. But uh, we'd need an entire show on that subject, uh, and we usually, um, we certainly don't have the time today. However, so I wanted to get back to uh, our crossover phenomena discussion. Uh, can you give us some more examples of that, uh, wh- even if it involves a uh, ghost, quote-unquote, or poltergeist or anything like, like this that we run into in UFO cases sometimes? Um, I don't, uh, we've done a few ghost stories, um, not very many. Uh, I have not uh, gotten any stories that I could say confirms that there would be a connection between the two. Okay. Do you find that... That doesn't mean there isn't. That means I haven't reported any. Sure. Do you find, Mary, that people, that the labels people put on their experiences may not necessarily accurately reflect what the experiences really were or, or what the phenomena really were that they experienced? In other words, uh, well, we always they use... Come back. Many of the people who are abducted come back with um, clouded memories or distorted memories, and I think that's done on purpose. Um, so no, you can't take everything at, at uh, face value when people are talking... And you really need to ask a lot of questions uh, to, to try to get to what the truth really was as opposed to what their perceived truth was. Right, right. Okay. Can you tell us some of the more recent experiences uh, that, that uh, have been reported to you by whether it be local people or people passing through the area, particularly involving well, UFOs and, and Bigfoot? Hmm. Um... Well, I know this isn't exactly answering your question, but uh, since this is the tourist season, I'd like to mention that one of the underground bases is under the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. Mm. And a lot of people vacation here, they might like to uh, pay more attention because there have been UFOs seen in that area. Um, It's really one of the uh, really good reports in the book that I did because uh, the main witnesses have military experience and as you've implied, they are uh, so much better at describing what they what they see. And this facility also, from what I can piece together, is the most recent of the ones here in western North Carolina. Uh, the reports, uh, uh, again, from these military people um, uh, were coming. They were seeing things like from 2010 through 2013, uh, and they would see these big cargo uh, transports uh, fly in and out of the area where the entrance to this place uh, is supposedly uh, located, and uh, they, they would fly low, and when they would come out, their tailgate would still be open. And these are uh, transports that are bigger than, uh, you know, the workhorse, the, the C-130. Yeah. Uh, they've, and one of the witnesses got some pretty good photos, uh, including one with the flaps still open. But there are osprey that will drop off, um, and I'm talking about the plane, not the bird, uh, that will drop off uh, packages in that area. There are, uh, see, what do they call them? Uh, they're like cranes, fly, flying cranes, and they would drop uh, boxcar-type containers down in this same area. So this showed that a whole lot of construction was being uh, uh, done. Uh, during that time frame. So that is the most recently constructed one that I'm aware of. So okay. people might want to check it out. All right. And uh, anyhow, that's enough of that. Okay. <laughs> we have, uh, Mary, two questions uh, that just came in from Phil in Orange, Massachusetts. And Phil asks, um, he says, two questions for Mary. Uh, ben, do you want to 
Sure. Take Just care do them one at a time so I won't forget them. Absolutely. Okay, doke. So uh, question number one. Uh, recently, the president announced that he has ordered the Air Force to build a Space Force. Uh, besides the absurdity of uh, describing a gargantuan program as an afterthought, uh, I was wondering if Mary is aware of the revelations uh, from Gary McKinnon, uh, whose NASA uh, hack purportedly disclosed the existence of a long-established Space Force. Does Marion believe we already have one? I believe we already have one. Uh, it's po- I can't imagine that Trump came up with this idea by himself. Um, I suspect that maybe it would be to the advantage of the military in some way to have uh, a completely independent military organization to deal with the, the space program uh, and be free of the constraints that they might encounter to a greater degree with the Navy, the Air Force, etc. Well, I'm thinking of the Outer Space Treaty of 1967, and uh, I do not know offhand whether China signed that, but I think some of this is, and I didn't hear the president's speech on this, and, you know, I, I don't trust the reports that come up from anybody, because unless you hear it yourself, you don't know what the man really said. But I think that the, the whole idea of a space force um, is, you know, I'm, I'm aware of the, of the uh, arguments that it does exist, et cetera, but whether it does exist or not, I think that it's, it may be uh, the sign of a new space race as we... Older people remember from the 1960s uh, when we didn't want the Soviets to get there first or get to the moon and, and then weaponize the place. And this, so this, this, there may be uh, some sort of, uh, of, of uh, motivation of that kind. Uh, what say you, Mary? Um, I, I just think it already exists. Okay. And uh, I, I, I think it's... Uh I mean, even even India and and Vietnam have. I believe Vietnam has has satellites, which are you know crowding the area around the planet. And uh, you know, if anybody weaponizes this, it's it's a whole new ball game. So I think that might be some effort to do. So I don't know. Uh, but on on the home page of our website, uh, we have the the most recent postings uh, on the right hand side. The one at the very top, which certainly would be easy to find, it's titled "Did Secret Space Program Spark." The Trump uh, Trump Kim summit. Yeah, I saw that. And yeah. um, it uh, and it connected to some more information. Also, uh, it was so abrupt um, that something had to cause it, and uh, it's it's a, a very interesting possibility. Again, yeah. we're getting this information from. Uh, we were made aware of this through another person with Cosmic Top secret clearance. I mean, we're getting a lot of information from people like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I, so, think it, I think it only makes sense, you know, wh- whenever there's any sort of new frontier presented for humans, we have to find a way to fight wars on it. You know, I mean, at, at first it was just, you know, land combat, then sea combat, and then air combat. You know, it, 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 they're great way, ways and means for trade, but I mean, as long as humans have existed, we've fought wars on pretty much every other frontier. Well, that's all we're real good at we're real good at that. We can be <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, that's what Stanton Friedman says. He says, uh, first of all, you know, you have alien visitations, fine, but why would they want to talk to us? As, as Stan puts it, uh, we're a uh, primitive species whose primary activity is tribal warfare, and they would be very concerned about us leaving this planet and bringing our warlike ways to space, whether it be near or far. So that always made sense to me. But mm. uh, well, yeah, and I'm one of those people who uh, personally believes in what I've pieced together is that we haven't gone back to the moon because the aliens don't want us there. Yeah, well, that could be. I don't know. Why don't we get into uh, Phil's second question here? Ah, yes. So question number two is, uh, why has Mary substituted the term skyships for UFOs? 
Uh, there's no deep answer to that. Actually, uh, it, you will sometimes find that term in uh, older writings uh, where they refer to the UFOs as skyships. Uh, we still use the term UFO a lot because it's, it's become, you know, it, it's not simply an unidentified flying object. It is a particular type of phenomenon. Um, once I talked to a, 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 some kind of general, and he told me years ago that um, uh, the term unidentified flying object, that they would use that because uh, kind of as a trick because they couldn't totally identify it. Um, but they got around different things by using that term. Hmm. And I'm not answering your question. but uh, Well, sometimes... The question is an answerable in, in, in an easy way, I guess. Mm. Now, last time we were on in 2015, Mary, there was... Um, you must take good notes because I doubt if you could remember what happened then. <laughs> well, I remember this. Anyway, there, there, is, uh, there are talks of foreign troops appearing here and there in your area. And uh, when we, we discussed that, I pointed out that there, there was, I don't know if there is still, but there was a NATO training area, so you would see from time to time troops from Germany, France, Canada, Italy, uh, even, per, and there, there even was, I believe at, some, at the time, some, some uh, Russian uh, interchange and activity, uh, not that they were in NATO or anything, but I mean, there, was, there were all sorts of things going on. Had there been, but, but you said that there was another dimension to that that might have been more ominous. Uh, do you have any information on foreign troop activity that may not be innocent and NATO-related in uh, that area? Well, I don't know. I don't think very many people are aware of the uh, World Heritage Treaty that uh, Nixon signed back in 72. Sure, yeah. And we, we turned over as a country some of our places, including the uh, Smoky Mountain National Park, to this through, you know, we've turned over our uh, control over it. And so any anybody affiliated with the U.N. can get in there. And, uh, you know, we've seen the U.S. U.N. troops, uh, actually quite a bit of them, around uh, Mount Mitchell, which is the tallest mountain uh, east of the Mississippi. Yeah. And there is uh, a facility that is supposedly uh, 20 stories deep, and uh, they've seen uh, U.N. troops. Well, you know, into the back area from there. You, you might have a better handle on it than I do, but my understanding of the World Heritage uh, Treaty was that it's very similar to the uh, uh, National Register of Historic Places. In other words, you're, you may live in a historic house, uh, but you have control over the property. I mean, it's still your house. It's just that, you know, you can't necessarily put on... Um, you know, fill, fill your roof full of skylights if you live in an you know 18th century house, that that sort of thing. You know, there are certain uh, minor limitations to what you can do with the property. That's my understanding. I mean, the Great Smoky Mountain National Park, as I understand it, still belongs to the is still under the jurisdiction of the U.S. Um, National Park Service and Department of the Interior, but it's not under the actual control of the U.N. I mean, do you have different information? Uh, my understanding is that it is owned by. Uh, the UN, or you know, through this treaty, I would find and, that uh, very disconcerting. We have, to, we have to, we have to pay for it, and you know, run the park and things like that. But where our our hands are tied to some extent, that would probably be to a greater degree than just skylights on a historic house. Well, I don't know. I find that very disconcerting because, in my opinion, the United Nations couldn't organize a checkers game and do it right. <laughs> and, and these, so again, 
You know, we talk about our government, we talk about the U.N., and what we see on the surface is very seldom the controlling force behind our government or behind the U.N. That may very well be, yeah, that's a very definite possibility. Wow. <laughs> right. So uh, why don't we take a few minutes here and uh, tell us again about your books, Mary, and your website and where people can find out more. Okay. Uh, the website is skyshipsovercashers.com. If you go to Editor's Corner and scroll way down to the bottom, you can find out a, a quick summary of each of the uh, three books that are in print right now. Uh, there's even one chapter uh, from one of the books so you can get an idea of how I, how I do it. Uh, one of the books is Underground Military Bases Hidden in North Carolina Mountains. Another one is Cherokee Little People Were Real. And the third one is Tangible Evidence of Jesus Left Behind for Us to Find. And oh, that's I, interesting. None of the topics are related to each other because I tend to uh, just follow where my curiosity takes me. Uh, and I tend to write, or want to write about things that aren't being covered. Nobody had covered the underground bases here in North yeah. Carolina. Yeah. Nobody had covered the Cherokee Little People. If yeah. they had, I probably wouldn't have chosen to write the book. Hmm. Well, so, you're just like me. I, I like to do the same thing. And you're a real Renaissance person, I have to say that. Uh, there's just so much to be interested in. And there I, is. Just walk into one thing, I, they're missing just a whole lot of, of, of life, really. Yeah. Well, that being said, what is next for you? Um, let me see here. I don't plan far in advance for the simple reason that stories just come in. Yeah. Um, I am going to do one uh, that I don't consider new, but most people don't know about it, and that is, uh, and this will get published uh, late in the first week of July, and there are boxcar uh, nuclear missiles that are can be on trucks and trains and ships, um, and you would never know that they're there. They have their own launching mechanism, and each one has four missiles in it. Huh. So they either can be chemical, nuclear. Uh, I think there's like four different things that they can use in the nose cone of these missiles. Uh, the, the thing that's creepy about this is um, there was an agreement made with um, uh, Gulf Tainer, which is an Arab company, and they, I, I think something went terribly wrong, but they have uh, a leasing right at Port Canaveral for 35 years, and those kind of things are coming in that way. So that's one that's going to come out uh, in very early July. Good. Okay. We actually have a, uh, a message that came in over our uh, Facebook page, and it's from... Uh, Susan Anspatcher, I believe, is is pronounced. Uh, uh, I don't know. Well, she says she says hi. She says I've known Mary Joyce for years, and uh, she lives just down the road from me. And of course, I moved to Maine in a few weeks, and she's a great researcher and enjoy the show. Well, that's great. Tell her thank you. Yeah, absolutely. That's a nice comment. Okay. Well, I think um, we're we're going to have you back certainly, Mary. Uh, and it's not going to be another three years. Um, just, well, we're going to ask you a favor. Keep an eye on these crossover phenomena. We're particularly interested in that. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'd be interested in knowing if you live in a flap area, because we have our hands full with them now. We're working on six at, at this point. And uh, yeah, we'd like to know uh, some more about that. Uh, uh, poltergeist activity that might be connected with uh, UFO abduction situations and all, the, all these things that people usually wouldn't, wouldn't associate with one another. But, we'd, uh, but uh, we'll ask you that favor when we'll be in touch off the air. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Good luck with your new expansion. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. If we can figure it out, we'll be all set. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, by the way, all those books are available through Amazon. I guess I should have mentioned that. Outstanding. Oh, they, yes, they're very go. good. Okay. Check them out, folks. Thanks, Mary.
Thanks a lot. You have a good day. You too. Okay, well, we'll see what happens. Okay, Ben, take it away. Alrighty. So, on uh, Wednesday, July 11th, we'll be at the Far Out Diner in uh, Dover, New Hampshire. That's at 6.30 p.m. to uh, join the Talking Saucers meetup group. And uh, we won't make any special presentation ourselves, uh, but we will be there to hobnob with UFO experiencers and enthusiasts. And uh, we'll certainly enjoy the uh, the great food of this UFO-themed diner. They have all sorts of ufology books all stacked up all over the place. It's like being in, in a library full of fascinating posters and books and and amazing food as well. The evening is sponsored by Seacoast Saucers of New England. There are the uh, saucer uh, pancakes were profoundly influenced. They, they are saucer cakes, saucer not cake. saucer pancakes. Saucer cakes. Okay. Saucer cakes. Yes. All right. Anyway, on <laughs> saucer <laughs> semantics. Right. On Saturday, July 21st, Ben and I will be back at the Danbury Public Library in Connecticut to present a program on Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of based on our 2017 book of that same subtitle. Uh, This is free and open to the public, but registration is requested, actually required. So please go to danburylibrary.org and click the View Calendar link, and that will take you to the page where you can uh, register for this this program. And again, it's free, but they do want you to register so they can plan. On Labor Day weekend, September 1st and 2nd, it's not all that far away now, Uh, We'll be back at the Exeter UFO Festival in New Hampshire, one of our favorite events of the year. Uh, Along with ourselves, speakers will include Richard Dolan, Kathleen Marden, Peter Robbins, and and, uh, others. Uh, Our subject on Saturday will be Aliens and Exorcism, Why Do, Quote, Possessed People, Unquote, Report UFO Experiences. Uh, that came from me working on the first chapter of this book that's going to the publisher hopefully tomorrow uh, when I look back over my old notes from 1973 and... uh, I was working with a priest, and, and my notes said that the people were reporting UFOs. The priest said, well, well, don't pay any attention to that. It's nothing to do. So we should have paid attention. Anyway, that's where that comes from. Yeah, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, as they say. Boy, especially from, uh, what, 40-something years ago, 45. On Sunday uh, of the uh, UFO Festival, we'll do our third annual on-location broadcast from the Exeter Town Hall with a panel of the speakers and the live audience. Uh, this event is great annual fundraiser for the Kiwanis Club uh, in the area. Uh, who raises money for children's charities in southern New Hampshire. Last year it raised over $9,000 for those great charities. Find out more at ExeterUFO.org. Uh, the 2018 MUFON Symposium, Mutual UFO Network, very credible group, uh, takes place at the Crown Plaza, Philadelphia, in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, on July 27th, 29th. Uh, ben and I are not speaking, but it's a great event, so check it out if you can, and it's rarely on the East Coast. MUFONSymposium.com. And then on Columbus Day weekend, uh, on uh, that's October 5th and 6th, we'll once again be at the Greater New England UFO Conference in Lemonster, Massachusetts. Um, we're not sure about the topic yet, but stay tuned for that. And uh, all three of our panelists from our, tw- our 10th anniversary show uh, from two weeks ago uh, will be speaking there as well, along with a number of great presenters. And you can find more out at NewEnglandUFO.com. Uh, my next book, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeists, Parasites, and Parallel Worlds, is all finished and goes to the publisher tomorrow, I hope. Uh, not sure how soon it will be released, uh, or even if that title will stay intact, but we'll keep you posted on that. I like the alliteration. I think you should keep it. Well, that's up to the publisher. But yeah, Ben isn't uh, on, on the byline this time because it all happened before he was born, but he's uh, that gave me a chance to dedicate the book to him. So How dare me not be born at that time. <laughs> well, there you go. So... <laughs> What do you got uh, there? Uh, actually, maybe we probably better kind of get going. Uh, yeah. What do we have next week? So next week, uh, July 1st, uh, we will welcome Lynn Nickerson and uh, Willie Hassel, our dear friends 
from uh, WSA or WSCA uh, 106.1 in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Talk about how bizarre uh, it can be to grow up with supernatural gifts. Okay. And uh, I would just say, check out our books, too, uh, Amazon.com or BehindTheParanormal.com. If you go to that site, we'll be happy to autograph them for you. Uh, certainly, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, from Schiffer Books in 2016. And uh, The Bigfoot Mothman and Monsters You Never Heard of, Behind the Paranormal 2, uh, from 2016. And yes. uh, th- that's... Uh, Check them out, and we'll sign them for you. I'd be happy to do that. And I am making my way s- slowly but surely on on our 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 first first sort of big big project with uh, uh, New England Stonehenge. I've been I've I've been working on it here and there, trying to you know figure out what direction to take it in, and and you know sort of work with everybody else on that. Exactly. We will look forward to that. Uh, we leave you this afternoon with some wisdom for the second week in a row from American author Roy T. Bennett. Take responsibility for your own happiness. Never put it in other people's hands. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you behind the paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.